We continue with the question, what do we know about the truthfulness of God from the Bible, and come to a seventh objection which has been raised against the absolute truthfulness of the Bible. If salvation is all of God, as many say, then God is able to cause any to be saved whom he wishes to be saved. Since the Bible affirms it to be the will of God that all should be saved, and since Jesus prayed, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven, why does not God cause all to be saved? Why does not God eradicate sin from the world? if it is within his power to do so. This is a grave objection to such views and must be faced. It is a plain and obvious fact, exceedingly painful to contemplate, that the great majority of God's moral agents are not in a state of reconciliation to him. They are not serving the great and loving creator supremely but are pursuing their own selfish ways. This situation demands an answer, an appropriate solution. If regeneration be a causative act of the Holy Spirit in implanting a new spiritual principle within man's heart so that he will turn to God and become a servant of Christ in salvation, then the fact that all men are not so regenerated can only reflect that God has not chosen to make it so or to bring it to pass. But this reason cannot be allowed to stand since it is plainly stated in the Bible that it is the will of God that all men be saved. And the idea that God may have a revealed will that expresses itself one way and a secret will guiding his actual operations is totally intolerable and must be banished from all consideration. If it would be that God would give regenerating grace to one and pass by another, then it must be that he has elected to do so. But if God treats one better than another for no reason except that he has chosen to do so, then this would obviously be a state of partiality. We can be relieved of this because the Bible many times over affirms what we would expect from a God of love, that God is no respecter of persons. The character of God can be vindicated from these charges very quickly by accepting at face value the revelations of the blessed Word of God. Let us look at a few passages in this connection. For example, in Isaiah, chapter 45 and verse 22, we have God imploring men to respond to his overtures of mercy. Look unto me, and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is none else. What more could there be as an evidence that God's will is not being done, and that God is inviting all men to come to him, and certainly men are able to come to him, or God would not so invite them. In the 55th chapter of Isaiah, verses 1 and 3, we have a wonderful invitation. Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye 
to the waters. And he that has no money, come ye, buy and eat. Yea, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Wherefore do ye spend money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which satisfieth not? Hearken diligently unto me, and eat ye that which is good, and let your soul delight itself in fatness. Incline your ear, and come unto me. Hear, and your soul shall live, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you, even the sure mercies of David. Here is a most tender invitation for all men to come and find forgiveness of sin and God's wonderful salvation. Certainly this indicates an absolute impartiality, and certainly the requirements are within the reach of all, because in this figure the prophet said that no money or no possessions were required. We come to Ezekiel chapter 18 and verse 31 and 2. Repent ye, and turn yourselves from all your transgressions, so iniquity shall not be your ruin. Cast away from you all your transgressions, whereby ye have transgressed, and make you a new heart and a new spirit. For why will ye die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of him that dieth, saith the Lord God. Wherefore, turn yourselves, and live. Certainly this indicates God's absolute impartiality and his absolute sincerity in inviting everyone to come unto him and partake of his glorious salvation. In the 33rd chapter of Ezekiel and verse 7, So thou, O son of man, God is addressing Ezekiel, I have set thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore, Thou shalt hear the word at my mouth and warn them from me. So God purposes to warn every individual as to the dire consequences of his own sin. And then in verse 11, Say unto them, As I live, saith the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways, for why will ye die, O house of Israel? Consider the great and glorious God imploring men to turn from that state of sin which can only exist now in a state of misery and can only end in eternal separation from him. And certainly here we have God exercising himself with all sincerity. In the third chapter of John's Gospel, Verses 16 and 17, we have this absolute impartiality manifested. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Consider the full import of this whosoever. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So it was God's purpose in sending the Lord Jesus Christ as the Savior of the world that the whole world might be saved. But we have the most outstanding passages, one in Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, 
who will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So here it is God's absolute will and purpose that all men should be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. What could be more explicit than this? So certainly God has no secret purpose or he is not withholding his influence from anyone to prevent them from being saved and enjoy his mercy and forgiveness. In 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So it is the will of God that every single individual should partake of his glorious salvation and be separated from the present misery of sin and the dire future consequences of sin. Certainly these scriptures show that it is the will of God that all men should be saved. Then from the prayer of our blessed Lord, we know it to have been his passionate desire that all should be saved. From the very character of God, we know that he would not withhold his regenerating grace from anyone within his power to bless. To do so, he would have to be guided by some selfish reason, which would be a departure from perfect love or virtuous benevolence. But the scriptures relieve us from this concept also. In the 10th chapter of Deuteronomy, and verse 17, we have this assertion of God's absolute impartiality. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, a great God, a mighty, and a terrible, which regardeth not persons, nor taketh reward. Here is a tremendous description of God's might and power and austere dignity, and it's the very essence of his being to be absolutely impartial and not to regard the persons of men in any kind of favoritism. Second Chronicles chapter 19 and verse 7. Wherefore now let the fear of the Lord be upon you. Take heed and do it. For there is no iniquity with the Lord our God, nor respect of persons, nor taking of gifts. So God is absolutely impartial, does not have any election, whereby he shows a greater favoritism to one over another. He does not prefer the salvation of one before another. In the 82nd Psalm, we have it asserted, that to have regard for persons is to judge unjustly. God standeth in the congregation of the mighty. He judgeth among the gods. How long will ye judge unjustly and accept the persons of the wicked? So to have a personal preference for anyone is to judge unjustly. Our blessed Lord was so impartial and just toward all that even his enemies had to acknowledge it. In the 22nd chapter of Matthew's Gospel and verses 15 and 16, we read this account from the lips of his enemies. 
Then went the Pharisees and took counsel how they might entangle him in his talk. And they sent out unto him their disciples with the Herodians, saying, Master, we know that thou art true, and teacheth the way of God in truth, neither carest thou for any man, for thou regardest not the person of men. So pronounced, therefore, was the absolute impartiality of our blessed Lord, that even his enemies had to acknowledge the perfect righteousness of his heart and life toward all. In the tenth chapter of Acts, verses 34 and 5, we see that none are chosen to a place of special privilege. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. Now is it not wonderful to have such a glorious God, such an absolute impartial God, such an absolute benevolent and loving God, we shall have to continue this list of scripture in our next visit. Our Heavenly Father, with thanksgiving we come to thee, thanking thee for this revelation of thy great and glorious person. Now we pray that many may arise to respect thee, heed thy tender pleadings, repent of sin, come by faith to the cross of Jesus, find forgiveness and reconciliation to thy great heart of love. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.